Worth repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, Real Ale Brewing Company, Texas A&M University, San Antonio, and Do210.com. Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. On this episode, we bring you more stories from November's live storytelling event about pulling up the weeds in your life or edibles gone wrong. Our first storyteller is Elizabeth Sosa Bailey. Elizabeth shares a story about an unlikely shaming and some pretzels that had a special kick. My mom and I were with my dad when he got busted for weed. We were in the doctor's office, uh, pain specialist management at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. But it's weird, right? Because like my dad was a rebel. He's from like he came of age in the 60s and the 70s. He would help he was like Detroit Rock City, who's from this idyllic town, this like small town downriver south of Detroit. And he knew Iggy Pop. He'd help Iggy Pop set up his music. He knew the MC5. I've even met some of the MC5. Like He's like, he has been through a lot, right? He He's a guy. He's a man who's done a lot of things. On top of all of that, um, he owned a bicycle store. He was what I always call like a renaissance man. He um, raced three series BMWs. He rode his Triumph motorcycles. He rode planes. Uh, and of course, he was a musician. So at the MD Anderson Cancer Center pain specialist doctor's office, where his urine analysis had clocked him for being positive for THC, he was uh, actually, he wasn't just surprised that he hadn't ever been busted before, but um, but he was also confused. Um, he had stage four non-small cell adenocarcinoma. And also as that was happening, he had had a blood clot that had dislodged in his left shoulder uh, that gave his left hand um, flesh necrosis, which is basically looks like frostbite. It's gangrene. Um, so stage four cancer, you know, but the thing was uh, his, his body was already trying to go. I can't imagine the kind of pain that he would have been in at that time. And to be um, given the kind of shaming, embarrassment for maybe having THC was just wild to me. But of course I said, very defensive as usual, CBD's legal and you know there could be traces of THC. There may have been some other things. <sighs> Later, I'd remind him, you know, I thought you liked those capsules, the capsules that Danny made you um, from California. Uh, I, I was moving back from California 
there I I brought back suitcases full of edibles and shit. There's like um there were these mu- mustard pretzels that he really liked and I was like I thought you did okay with the indica tea and but when you do have that far of a progressed uh, cancer, you know, I mean, the metastasis is in your brain. So that confusion was genuine. The, the conversations that we would have to have after about um, where it was coming from. The thing was, when you're that sick or when you're in that much pain, I know, I know we're in the state of Texas. And uh, we were in 2018. But the thing that bothers me the most isn't just that he didn't have this opportunity to maybe find some relief after that. Because of course, MD Anderson Cancer Center would rather give you morphine and tramadol than let you try some holistic thing or whatever we could be. On top of him not finding that relief, um, it also kind of cut out this opportunity for he and I to be able to bond. Perhaps I was not the best teenager or whatever. Everyone can relate, some of y'all. Public radio audiences, whatever, who knows. I was always struggling with this, like, am I cool enough for my dad or, and and not just that, like, the things that he taught me, like integrity and being responsible, like, I had a really good job in California. I was a marketing director of a historic theater, much like the Aztec or the Majestic here. I I was doing really well. I, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to come back home. I was sad about it. Um, And then, of course, there's guilt about being sad. And in the end, I, I wish that I didn't hold that resentment. Um, But I think that it's okay to be sad and just still think of the powerful, wonderful man that he was, like the kind, like my parents and I couldn't go anywhere without running into one of his clients or a friend or something like that. And so that's the kind of thing that I've inherited usually. And that's where I'm at. It's been just over three years since we lost my dad and I accept that that is how we try and help people even if there's going to be something that kind of gets in the way. Our next storyteller is Paige Pratt. Paige shares a time when a brownie went too far and how there are worse things than getting caught red-handed. This is a story about the first time I got high. So growing up, 
I was uh, a very good kid. I didn't do anything I wasn't supposed to do. I didn't sneak out. I didn't skip class. I wasn't having sex. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. I was an angel. Uh, the preferred child uh, from any parent, in my opinion. Um, my mother, when she was growing up, was quite the wild child. I mean, she did things I've never even been in the same room as. Um, so whenever she found out she was pregnant with me, especially being a girl, she was so worried I was going to be a spinning image of her. And she parented as such. Uh, I was guilty of crazy things at the age of three. Um, she liked to do this thing where, you know, a lot of parents, they turn into officer mom or officer dad and they go fishing for crimes. And she did that to me a lot too. Uh, you know, I'd come home from church group and she'd be like, you're drunk. And I'd be like, I'm drunk on Jesus, mom. <laughs> she didn't get it. She didn't, she didn't get me. That's fine. Uh, and I really had the best intentions. Um, so junior year of high school, I wasn't allowed to drive. Shocker. Uh, because I would be doing nonsense, you know. So I found a ride home from some friends of mine who did happen to be the biggest potheads in my high school. But they, uh, they'd always ask me to smoke with them and say how fun it would be. And I'd get on my high horse and say, I'm never going to smoke anything. And they took that very literally. Um, they called me one day and they said, hey, we're going to go see the movie Grandma's Boy. Would you like to come? I said, there's no way my mom's going to let me go, but let me check. So I go, waiting for the smackdown, and my mom looks at me and she says, you know, Paige, I've got a really bad feeling about this, but I never let you do anything, so just go ahead. Just come back when you're done. Don't go anywhere else. All right, sure. So I get in the car, and my friend Daniel pops out of the back seat with a heaping tray of very poorly made brownies. I mean, if you can imagine 16-year-old boys making brownies, I'm pretty sure they put the weed in a grinder and then just sprinkled it in the eggs. I'm not sure. And uh, the, the trouble here is that 16-year-olds don't understand dosing. They don't understand that when you ingest marijuana, it hits you 10 times harder than if you were to smoke it. So naturally, they had little old me have two brownies, that were about three by four inches. I would have been fine with one bite. I was fine uh, until I was buying my movie ticket, which is where I blacked out the first time. When I came to, it was about an hour later, and I had none of my senses. I heard the ocean, um, just waves going, and I, f I found out it was actually people laughing. And then my vision came back and I saw the screen and I saw the movie playing, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. I really had no idea what was going on. I had no grip of reality. And uh, I don't know how I made it home. All I was thinking was, there's no way I'm going to survive being high. And even if I do, the death of me will be my mother. <laughs> so I somehow made it home. All I had to do was go tell her, I'm good. I walk in, you know, she would normally tell me I'm drunk and I walked in this time and she's just like, okay, sweetie, good night. So I, uh, you know, went back to my room 
in my victory of beating Lita and my mom, I, for some reason, took a nude slumber. The only reason I uh, remember that or is notable is because the next morning I woke up at about 5 a.m. and felt a little queasy. And, you know, sometimes you feel sick and you just got to go get it out. So I was on my way to the bathroom. I did not make it. And my stepdad woke up about two hours later to get my brothers up from school. And he found me face down, ass up, out of it. And he says my name a couple times and I stand up, give him a good head nod, and just take a leisurely stroll back to my room. He runs back to my mom screaming, wake up, your daughter's on drugs. Which you think she'd be fine with, but apparently she's the only one who's allowed to accuse me of being on drugs. So now she's screaming at him. In the middle of her defending my honor, they hear the sound of 120 pounds hitting the floor across the house. I'm out again. This time I wake up about 20 minutes later. My mom's next to me. She's crying. I won't wake up. She gets me dressed, takes me to the emergency room. On the way there, she's calling everyone she's ever met in her entire life. (laughs) We found Paige on the floor. We don't know what's wrong with her. We're going to the hospital. We'll let you know. Prayers and thoughts. So we get there. They can tell something's wrong with me. I'm high out of my mind still. I was high for three days straight. So they see something's wrong. They, they stick an IV in me and they say, you know, we're going to figure out what's wrong with her. We're going to start with a drug test. Well, I knew what was coming, but I'm high as hell. And I just say, nah, I've got no pee for you. <laughs> he says, that's perfectly fine. We've got a catheter. We can hook up. I told him I thought I could find some pee. (laughs) So my mom's helping me uh, wobble my way into the bathroom so I don't eat it and break my teeth on the tile. So I'm sitting there trying not to pee on myself to pee into this cup. And my mom decides it's time to office her hat. She looks over, gives me a once over, and she goes, oh, when did you start shaving that? Who's that for? Mom, now's not the time. Not the time. One crime at a time. So they come back and they say, we found very high levels of THC in her system. And my mom calls everyone back, tells them what happened, tells my friend's parents. My friends won't talk to me when I get back to school. It's first period on Friday because I was high all week. Couldn't go to school. I finally get back to school. It's first period. And I tell everyone, you know, oh, man, I got really high. I went to the hospital. It spread like wildfire. And by the time I had gotten to eighth period, no one had any idea that I had gotten high nor gone to the hospital. They just knew my stepdad saw me naked. (laughs) And as I was trying to find a lesson in all of this to relay in this story, I was thinking, well, what is the difference here? The next time I tried drugs, I was 23. And when I told my mom about that one, she looked at me and she said, I know I should be disappointed, but can you get me some? (laughs) 
So my moral of the story is do the drugs your parents like and they can't get mad at you. Thank you. <laughs> Our last storyteller of the episode is Josh Cavaza. Josh shares a story about the importance of wait time when making an entire sheet of brownies. I quit smoking weed. I still eat it. <laughs> but the reason I quit smoking is uh, tolerance. Because you can smoke joint after joint after joint, and you're going to plateau. You're only going to get so high. But when you eat a heroic amount of marijuana, God tells you, how high you get. God's just like, higher. <laughs> higher. Now that I think of it, it might have been Satan. <laughs> so Satan tells you how high you get. So this takes place uh, February 14th, 2005. Burned in my brain. Valentine's Day with me and my ex girlfriend. How fun. Yeah. We broke up two weeks before this. Correction. She broke up with me two weeks <laughs> before this. And just like a lovely young lady, two days before Valentine's, I guess she didn't want to be alone. I was like, what was that thing you were planning? Maybe we should, you know. I mean, I'd like a free meal and some gifts. That's not what she said, but that's what I hear now at 37. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, no. I, I still have the reservations and all the stuff that I, I had nothing. I had nothing. I was in shambles and I, I, I mustered up everything I could. And I was like, oh, it's going to be the perfect date. It's going to be, I'm going to make everything perfect. Uh, but I, it's too late to make you know, reservations. So I winged the whole thing. And uh, I went, I picked her up from her dorm, right? And I was just like, so what do we got planned? I was like, well, we're going to 6th Street. Yeah. She thought we were going dancing. I don't know how to dance. So that wasn't it. Uh, I just took her to a restaurant called the Iron Cactus. <laughs> Not even a super nice restaurant. It's like an expensive Chili's is, <laughs> is what it is. Don't need a reservation. You just walk in. In fact, we got there at 7 p.m., and there's 10 people there. But uh, I decided to sit at the bar because I thought it'd be, yeah, let's sit at the bar. We'll have margaritas. Because it's romantic. You're, you're, this guy already knows it. It's like, no, that's not. You're messing it up. But it didn't matter if I messed it up because I had an ace in my back pocket, which was what? I made uh, the best weed brownies than any man or woman has ever made. It was a regular H-E-B bag of brownies, right? But it had a quarter pound of marijuana. And when I don't think like some really fluffy, nice stuff, I'm in college, I can't afford that. This is a brick that I got from my uncle <laughs> in the valley. And he told me all I can get you is a quarter pound. I was like, all right, so even he thought I might be a narc. 
So he's like, I don't want a felony. So I unwrap the whole saran wrap and I get a butcher knife and I cut up all, as much as like, you can't smoke this, this is an unsmokable. And I put it in the pot with butter, but not sticks of butter. It was like the bucket of butter. And I get the whole bucket of butter and I'm like, she's gonna fall in love with me, I know. it. This is a fall in love potion, that's what this is. Oh, this is gonna be so good. We're gonna go to the Iron Cactus. <laughs> so the date's going horrible. But I don't care, because I tell her, I'm like, you ready for your big surprise? And she's like, finally. I was like, all right, well, we gotta go back to San Marcos. Because we went to school at Texas State. And I was just like, why? I was like, because it's at my apartment. And she's like, ugh. Because she's automatically assuming it's either drugs, or sex. It was both. I wanted to give her drugs and then have sex. We were both going to be on drugs just so we, everybody's clear. We're talking about the, I don't know why I put my hands up too. Like, hey, I promise I'm a good person. And uh, my roommates and my friends had seen me make the brownies and uh, I know they wanted some, but I told them, I was like, you gotta wait. You can't, I gotta, she has to have the first one. Cause I'm a gentleman. <laughs> so we get back to Comanche Hill. We're on the third floor and we go all the way up and I open the door and there's a big blue couch that I have, a sectional. And there's eight dudes sitting on it. <laughs> and she walks in and they go, happy Valentine's. <laughs> She's like, oh. <laughs> And we go and we sit down. She's like, what's the surprise? And I take it out. I was like, it's brownies. And she's like, oh, my, really? That's your surprise? I was like, but it's weed brownies. I know you like weed. And she's like, give me the brownie. Just give me the brownie. <laughs> so we all sit. We eat a brownie. Uh, we watch uh, a classic, Waiting, with Ryan Reynolds. Young Ryan Reynolds. Beautiful man. And I can tell she's not having a good time because she still has her purse. <laughs> and I'm nervous. I'm like, come on, that's, I, I can't believe I messed this up. In my 20-year-old mind, I'm thinking like, yo, this is the night and it's not going like I wanted at all. And so everybody's getting high and as we're watching the movie, I'm so nervous, I keep eating the brownies. Yeah, yeah. And the movie ends, and we're so high, I go, hey, let's watch it again. <laughs> and they were so high that they go, yeah. <laughs> so the second time into the movie, the whole batch of brownies starts hitting me hard. Like the world is spinning. Like hard, right? And I'm just trying to like just be normal. But my hands are like this. Be normal. Be normal. And then it got too fast to where I felt like I was gonna get flung off the earth. But I remember seeing this thing with these jet pilots, they put them in a centrifuge 
And then they check the G-force on them, right? And the way they would breathe would... So I took my pilot training. And I started going... Now all the other nine people sitting on the same couch have only had one, so they all look at me like, what is wrong with him? And I can't control it. And my thought process is like, I'm just too high up. I need to get to lower altitude. That's what it is, just getting to get to lower altitude. So I warm my way off the couch and I go to the ground, the carpet, just dirty college carpet. And I'm on the, just And they're staring at me like, what is wrong with him? And then I just start, and I couldn't handle it no more. And so I start telling them, get her out of here. Get her out of here. <laughs> but in my head, I was like, can you please take her home? I'm having a time right now. Now, my friend Bibles is a lightweight. And so when he saw that, he told me he thought I was turning into a monster. So he tells her like, no, we gotta get out of here now, let's go. We gotta go, get your purse, it's already on, great, let's go. So they leave, my friends leave, they take her home, my roommates are super high, they go back to their rooms. They leave me on the floor as I'm shivering. And I'm like, be, that, be the pilot, be the pilot. And I start crawling, right, to my room. And I get in bed, and I start wrapping myself in my comforter, right? And it's one of those, the valley, the sheets, the big old, the San Marcos. Well, I got mine in the valley, but yeah, they're from San Marcos. I got you. And I, I, I wrap myself in it, but I wrap myself too tight. And I start having a panic attack to the point where I pass out. I'm out for 14 hours. And I wake up the next day, missed all my classes, and I'm still high, like unbelievably high. And I look at my phone and it's text message, text message, text, but it's blurry and I was like, I can't, I can't do that right now, I can't do that right now. And I put it down. I'm high a whole other day after that. So we're talking, I calculate it was 30, six hours total of being, which is not fun, which will definitely ruin your tolerance. Once I came down, not the next day, but the day after, I went to her dorm and I was gonna apologize. And I knock and another dude answers the door. And I, all I said to him was like, that's about right. <laughs> that's about right. And I, I, I walked off and I learned a great lesson and I didn't, I quit weed for a year. It was just a year I quit weed. <laughs> I smoke weed now, but I'm an adult. My tolerance even back out, so I'm good. Anyway, I hope she's miserable.
that's it for this episode of the Worth Repeating podcast. You can get tickets for the next live show by visiting tpr.org backslash WR or submit a story that you'd like to tell. If you know someone who has a great story, tell them about Worth Repeating. Our next show is December 13th and the theme is Chisme. We want your stories about gossip, rumors, and other behind-the-scenes drama. Support for Worth Repeating comes from the 8020 Foundation, Do210.com, Texas A&M University at San Antonio, and Real Ale Brewing Company. Worth Repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio.